Hi, this is Beth AQ, and this is the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. The Glass House is a space for spoken word artists, poets, sound makers, audio storytellers, emerging cultural leaders, thinkers, writers, and anyone who celebrates story as a means of self-expression, self-representation, and community building. I hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at BethanyAQ or the Triple R website. Everyone in the world has gone to bed one night or another with fear or pain or loss or disappointment. And yet each of us has awakened and arisen. There is the nobleness of the human spirit. Despite it all, black and white, Asian, Spanish, Native American, pretty, plain, thin, fat, vowed or celibate, we rise. Good afternoon to you. My name is Beth AQ with you for another episode of The Glass House, a show dedicated to exploring all forms of storytelling. I begin by acknowledging that I am broadcasting to you from stolen unceded lands, from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I acknowledge Wurundjeri people as the traditional custodians of this land who have cared for and told stories on these lands since time immemorial. I acknowledge colonisation is an ongoing project and acknowledge my place within that. It always was, always is and always will be Aboriginal land. Coming up on the show today, I'll be joined in just under 10 minutes by author Christopher Raja to speak about his new memoir called Into the Suburbs, A Migrant Story. And his book follows his journey from Calcutta to Melbourne at the age of 11 and really explores his teenage years and early adulthood. And it's a book all about suburban Australia, about class, about coming of age and all that comes with exploring who you are in a new place. And it's out now through UQP. So very much looking forward to chatting with him. And later on, I'm excited. I've got them back this week. I'll be joined by the creators of a new weekly podcast called Beauty is Political. And it's a podcast that is all about inclusive beauty practices. And creators Talia and Maxine cover everything from the politics of fake tanning to the language around anti-aging and even beauty hacks for lockdown. And as they call it, the driving force in this podcast is to dismantle the white supremacy that is rife within the beauty industry. And you can check that out wherever you do get your podcast from. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. 
To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. You are listening to Triple I in the Glass House. Christopher Raja was 11 years old when his father, David, decided to move the family to Australia in pursuit of an idyllic lifestyle. He moved to Australia from Calcutta in 1986 and the move brought with it new challenges. His memoir, Into the Suburbs, A Migrant Story, takes us on the journey of his first years in Melbourne as he grows from a teenager into early adulthood. And Christopher Raja joins me on the line now. Welcome to Triple R. Hi, Beth. Thank you for having me. It is uh, a pleasure to chat with you this afternoon. Um, I suppose I'd love to start with, you know, identity and exploration of how we explain ourselves to the world is a really central theme to this book, you know, particularly as a young person and figuring out how to be a teenager and an early adult in a, in a new place. What made you start the book, uh, I suppose, from this age? Well, I started the story at the point where, in a sense, where the last book that I'd written ended. And, and it seemed like a logical place to start because I thought, well, you know, I liked arrivals and I liked arriving in a new place. And I thought that would be a powerful place to start. Um, there was a prologue, of course, that, that comes with it. But um, uh, I didn't call it a prologue, but, you know, it's a sort of a prologue that's set in India, but the entire story is set in Australia and in Melbourne. Mm. And I suppose throughout this book, you know, your early teenage life, it kind of echoes that of, I think, many people in this country, you know, exploring your body, exploring sexuality, you know, experimenting with alcohol. I'd love to um, know a little bit about your writing process and how you kind of were able to vividly capture these memories on the page? Sure. So I was very keen. So there were a couple of things I wanted to do. One of them was um, to explore the thinking of a teenage boy and sort of like how does a boy become a man, but, but the psychology behind it. So not a voice, not a cliche, not a Holden Caulfield, um, just, and also not a white boy, uh, a migrant boy who, you know, an Indian, Anglo-Indian, Australian suburban boy who pretty much gets in fights, who can't wait to lose his virginity. And, and you know, and all he can think about is sex and fitting in and, and, and um, fighting because he's trying to feel normal in a very strange land. And so, but that was... You know, that was um, opening up a big can of worms for me because, of course, I wrote this um, many years later. So looking back at that time was difficult. So I had to go through a lot of growing up (laughs) to get to this material and to look at it honestly and put it out there. Yeah, well, that's something that I think is quite striking about the book. I don't think it's any easy feat to recount a, a younger version of yourself without, you know, imposing new ideas of, of what we've learned perhaps since we were younger. I'd love to know a little bit about how you felt you were able to re- re- retain that youthful authenticity when writing. There is some memoirs at the moment, you know, a lot of academic-style memoirs that often critique this notion of um, memory and what's true and what's not. I don't do that. I sort of try and write, it, write my book like a novel uh, with the point of view of a young lad. 
um, you know, and, and we, watch, we watch things pretty much through his perspective. And um, so, I, so I try to use no, a novelistic technique, and I gave the reader the benefit of the doubt to decide wh whether what I was writing was true or not, and whether they felt there was some authenticity to what I was writing about. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like, yeah, you're able to do that in a really, yeah, authentic way. And I think that is, yeah, it's just very complex and it, it's done very well. Um, I'd love to talk about, you know, I suppose some of the big themes that kind of come through in the book. Um, I think something that stood out to me is, I suppose, going through that learning uh, in at, uh, at a young age, that the kind of self-purported myth that many Australians carry, uh, you know, that myth of Australians, you know, have give everyone a fair go of it being a classless society, you know, where everyone's your mate. Um, and I suppose just learning that in many ways, you know, we don't, this society doesn't live up to that and fails many people, particularly people of colour, and how that kind of racism comes out through, I suppose, various aspects of society. I'd love to learn, I suppose, your feelings about how hard it was to kind of learn these things and kind of live these things when, you know, your family had sacrificed so much to, to move to this country? Wow, that's a massive question. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so there was a certain amount of naivety that comes when you come as a migrant to Australia, but especially, you know, I'm looking at the mid-'80s, 86, and I was getting a lot of information from my dad and from the photographs that he showed me off Australia with beaches and everyone was blonde-haired and blue-eyed. So I automatically thought the moment I land and start eating the food and drinking the milk, I too would become blonde-haired and blue-eyed. And I didn't realise it was more complex than that. So I was that naive, you know, when I first arrived. And, 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 and you know, and I think my dad was too. And my mum was, of course, a little bit more circumspect about the move. And, uh, you know, she, she, she wasn't as, as, as easily swayed as us, us, us men, well, me as a boy and, my, and my, my dad as a man were. You know, we were swayed and we thought, you know, everyone in Australia was going to be as friendly as Bob Hawke. Yeah, and how hard do you feel like it was to kind of, I suppose, go through those learnings and find out that it... <laughs> Well, that was a rude shock. So, so you know, um, you know, so automatically, you know, the first things as a, so you know, everyone, everyone at the different age groups had different experiences. So, mum and dad, of course, worked in in factories, and then you know, worked in schools, and and mum worked at the tax office. So there was a steep learning curve for the adults, and then of course there were the younger, you know, me and my my sort of age group, and it was trying to fit in. And so, of course, you know, uh, being a teenager. There were girls and how to navigate that world, how to navigate the slang, like, you know, hey, have you ever got on with someone? Uh, you know, what is that? How do you mean, have I ever got on with someone? And, and then to also navigate... Um, Navigate, yes, the physicality, the physicality of coming into Australia, football, um, you know, uh, bigger, taller boys, uh, boys that are ready to push you around, um, other migrants with, chip on the, with, with chips on their shoulder who want to put you down because they'd feel better if they just, you know, uh, take you out during recess or, 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 you know, or grab you during, in the locker bay and, and you, know, you know, kick you or something and, and hit you when you're down and, and sort of like, whoa, how do you navigate that from... from from, 
from you know just just arriving to all of a sudden there's this physicality both with 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 uh, the hormones of sexuality but also with the physicality of violence. Mm. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk, I suppose, a little bit about your parents throughout this book. They're very, you know, they're very central to the book. You know, we see them through the eyes of you, uh, you know, a younger version of yourself, you know, because not only are you navigating being in this new yeah. country and what that means to you and the experiences you're having, but, we, you know, we get these glimpses of how your parents are kind of dealing with it. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about that? So then we have this other world, a completely other world to the one I just described, which is, you know, the boy in, in kind of that physical kind of environment in the school, in the football field. Uh, you've got this other world, which is in the suburban house. It's quiet. It's, it's lonely. It's uh, got new appliances. Um, there are stoves with gas heat, you know, gas coming out, and there's ducted heating. There are... There are these new uh, things like lawns, you know, where everyone manicures your lawn. And, and, and then there are these strange objects called shopping trolleys that you may find in a shopping center, but you might also find in a park or, in a, in a, or, or somewhere else, somewhere strange. So, um, and then mum and dad, you know, trying to work out how to use these devices and how to navigate um, their lives. And then also a sort of sorrow, a heartache of leaving behind something that they were familiar with and a loneliness that comes with trying to, you know, you know when it comes with not knowing people, trying to make new friends, uh, fit in with work colleagues, uh, change food habits. So there's, there's a lot going on, and I try and show different snippets of all of this at, at different stages. So the story moves quite quickly. Mm. Yeah, and I'd love to talk a little bit about, I suppose, what you mentioned in terms of like the setting and the place that, you know, there's kind of this like reoccurring mentioning of the the cleanliness of, you know, the the want for, you know, particularly your mum to keep areas clean. Um, Also, just the vastness the the, you know, the the spaciousness of this place that you're in, the quietness of, uh, of, you know, suburbia, Uh, I suppose, in stark comparison to perhaps, you know, what you experienced um, in Calcutta. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, so there's this great longing, you know. I mean, Calcutta, with 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 um, with um, you know, obviously with a bigger population and and and, and different issues. Uh, Melbourne was, you know, um, n- well, seemingly new. Uh, so you know, it, you know, I think in 1988, Melbourne was celebrating what a hundred, um, um, what was it, two hundred years or something? What was mm-hmm. it? Uh, uh, 150 years, I think, uh, 1988, celebration of the nation, and we were all taught the song at school, celebration of the nation. I still remember it. And, 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 and I thought to myself, wow, my school in India is older than this place. Mm. And, you know, I literally went to a school in India that was older than what Melbourne was celebrating. It's, 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 Australia was set, celebrating its bicentenary. That's right. Mm. And, and then, of course, you know, there's this other history. There's this other less optimistic side of Australia that I'm starting to learn about. Mm. And it's this deeper history. It's the Aboriginal family that I've become friends with. It's the... Um, it's the history of the names of suburbs that I'm wondering, what is a name like Turak? Where did a name like Warrigal come from? Mm. 
If you have just joined us, we are chatting with Christopher Raja all about his new memoir, Into the Suburbs, A Migrant Story. Uh, yeah, Christopher, I'd love to talk a little bit about that. You know, from quite a young age, you really start to understand the complexities of the relationship that white Australia um, has with its colonial past um, and I suppose the lack of acceptance and, uh, you know, if we're being honest, like the downright refusal and uh, you know, I suppose re-education, which you can kind of really see in, um, you know, in your early days when you have your, I think it was your history teacher that was teaching you about yeah. <laughs> um, early colonisation, which, you know, just wasn't true. But I think that kind of speaks to an education that a lot of, um, you know, people that live in this country have gone through and this myth has been um, perpetuated through these education systems. Um, you know, I thought that was really interesting to kind of see your understanding from a young age having you know a colonial um, past in India and kind of likening that to what it was like in Melbourne um, you seemed really uh, on top of it in a way that perhaps your you know your white peers weren't can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, uh, to be fair, I think uh, there were a few things going on with that. One was, yes, I already had an experience like that with my own cultural history. You know, my mum is Anglo-Indian, so so it's inbuilt in, within my blood and bone, this, uh, you know, this, this colonial past, hence my name, Christopher Raja. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a very Christian name mixed with a very Hindi name, uh, South Indian name, and, and so... And so, you know, it's, it's, you know, I automatically pick up on things like this, you know, this, and also uh, the complexity of it. I mean, you know, because after all, that's within me, both of those things, you know, the Irish past, the Indian past. And so I was quickly sensitive to it. Then there was also the aspect, of course, uh, my parents, having been teachers and well-educated, uh, would remind me about history and, and, and Dravidians and deep time. And so I was very close to my mum and dad, and both mum and dad were teachers in India and, 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 you know, academically inclined. So they would inform me, even though I did not want to hear anything from them, because I thought... Uh, to be too smart was to be a nerd because that's what I was told at school. So I just wanted to do badly and not to know too much. So I just didn't want to know their knowledge. But, yeah, I hate to say it, but it did stick in my head. Mm. Yeah, I feel like there are um, all of these kind of cultural touchstones that come out through the book that really uh, centre your story in a time and place that, you know, I can... I can, you know, really relate to and think about some of the musicians that you mentioned going to see, I think, Nick Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, like when you went to see Michael Jackson for the first time. (laughs) Like all of these really, um, I suppose, pivotal moments of your life that are um, pinpointed through music. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Absolutely. And this is why I wanted to be on Triple R, right? (laughs) Because around the time, so I think we're about page 103 or something. I can't remember exactly in the book. me, the young, the young, you know, I sometimes it's, I find it hard to talk about me as in that person in the book. Uh, but that, you know, me, uh, so I, I go into, I go, I'm going to the, uh, the pub, the Edinburgh, I think it's in at the top end of Sydney Road. Mm. And I'm seeing the meanies and the hard-ons. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I'm out having a good time and, and, you know, just, 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 I think I've just started at Melbourne Uni and, and I'm 18 and I'm thinking this is so great and, you know, I'm this three-piece band and we're all, you know, you know, enjoying ourselves. And I'm thinking to myself, as I was waiting to talk to you, I was thinking I would have only known about the meanies and the hard-ons because I was into Triple R. <laughs> 
there is no other place that I would be listening to the meanies and the hard on. And of course, you know, places like Triple R drew me because that's where the alternatives, the outsiders went. You know, and I used to like listening to Stephen Walker, the ghost, mm. and, and Henry Rollins with his tats and, you know, getting fit and being physical. I thought that was so cool, and that was all part of my physical, mental transformation. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I think that so many people can relate to that. I definitely can in terms of, you know, I just yeah remember when I first started listening and it kind of opened up my world. But yeah, I love that that was reflected in the book. Um, it feels very fitting to be able to chat to you on this station. Um, I'd love to, I suppose, ask you a little bit about, you know, writing a memoir that is so deeply exploratory of your family lineage and of namesakes, which you kind of touched on briefly. Um can you tell me a little bit about like what is it what's it been like navigating writing a family history that you know it's at times it's full of so much joy yeah. and there's also a lot of you know there's grief in yeah. there and what, yeah what yeah. was that what was that like and I suppose in terms of relating sure. to your family sure so um, well uh, there was a long there was a long hiatus from the from the period where I started to write this and to the period to when it's been you know to, to, to this year when it's been published and you know, my reading informed it, my travel informed it. So reading people like Nausgaard, Peter Hanke, uh, the European writers, um, 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 the French writer, um, Annie Arnaud, um, um, you know, I could list um, the, the Italian writer, uh, Natalia Ginsburg. Um, these writers started to inform me that, I, oh, maybe I could write my own story, use my own name. And use my own places and that was quite exciting to do and I thought you know I'm going to do that but I'm going to say it's a true story I mean you know with the help of my editor at UQP all that was you know really harnessed and it was a journey and you know there's a wonderful team in UQP and the editors but I'd done a lot of work you know I'd already gotten gotten the manuscript to shortlisted to the Penguin Prize mm -hmm. so so I'd been sitting on it, and, and, and as I said earlier, um, I was thinking of also doing like a series of books. So, you know, starting with an Indian book, I felt like I had to do that, and, and so I did that with The Burning Elephant, a, a novel completely set in Calcutta. Um, that was published by Geromondo in 2015. And then I worked my way to an Australian book. And I didn't care if it was going to be a novel, a memoir. I didn't really, I want, I'm not really interested in, in classifications. It's like, are you, am I an Indian writer? Am I an Australian writer? I'm not really that interested. Did I write a novel? Did I write a memoir? You know, people call me names, all sorts of names. <laughs> I don't care what they call me. Um, so I didn't care how they defined the work either. So I just thought, try and write a book that has something unique to say. Mm. And when you are writing about something, you know, real, you're writing about your life, you're writing about your family's life, um, you know, what are the, I suppose, real life ramifications sure. of that or how does that sit with your, your family now? Yeah, that, that, well, partly, um, you know, uh, there was some sensitivity. I had to wait uh, many years. Uh, there are a couple of characters, um, you know, which people have asked me in particular about uh, that, you know, you know, some some characters are dead. Uh, I I won't go into that, but but some of the people that I write about are dead, and 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 I want to write more. See, I want to write 
more books about some of the people that are in the book, but later on. And I don't know if I'll be able to do that, but I'd love to pick up on some of the characters and explore what happened to them, Mm -hmm. because there are many different strands to this story that I'd love to pick up down the track. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I feel like just even from the glimpses that, of different characters that we got through your um, your eyes, you, you know, they obviously have whole worlds as well. So, yeah, I yeah. could definitely see that happening. Um, yeah, so I was thinking of that French writer, you know, the, the um, um, oh, what was his name? The guy from the 18th century, really old school, and he did all those books. Um, that, you know, sort of, he'd take characters. I mean, even, even Faulkner did it. Like, they would take these characters and then bring them later on and you'd see a different side of their lives. Mm. Balzac, Balzac. Do you think that's what the future holds for you? Hey, the future holds, I don't know what the future holds. I mean, hey, we were living in a pandemic. Did you know that we, that was going to happen this year? <laughs> hey, I didn't plan it, no. <laughs> I didn't plan anything. Hey, I, I'm not a planner, but I, I do write. And so I'm just going to keep writing. And I don't know what's going to happen. I didn't know I was going to write a memoir, for, mm. for instance, and we'd be discussing it on Triple R. Wow, that's the coolest thing. <laughs> I love that. Um, Christopher Raja, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you this afternoon. Thank you so much for your time. It's been awesome, Beth. Thank you for having me. Uh, We were just chatting there with author Christopher Raja all about his new memoir called Into the Suburbs, A Migrant Story. It is out now through UQP. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. Beauty is Political is a brand new weekly podcast all about inclusive beauty practices. Creators Talia and Maxine cover everything from the politics of fake tanning to the language around anti-aging and even some beauty hacks for lockdown. Uh, Maxine and Talia join me now. Welcome to Triple R. Hi. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Hi. It is uh, such a pleasure to chat with you both. I've had you in my ears uh, for the last uh, little while. Um, I'd love to, I suppose, start from the beginning. You know, in episode one, you kind of really interrogate the genesis of this project. Uh, Can you tell us how it came about? Yeah, so it came about when I was part of a Facebook group for beauty where someone had posted about the idea of whether tanning was racist and the Facebook group kind of blew up with people saying, this isn't something we should talk about in the beauty space. Beauty is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be lighthearted. It's not political. And the people of color who were part of the Facebook group got really frustrated because they were like, this is our lives. You know, we engage with beauty too, but we want to be able to talk about these parts of, of, you know, the, the social implications. Um, and I ended up getting blocked from the group and it made me so angry that I was like, I'm going to start my own podcast where we can talk about these kinds of things. And I called Max and she was on board. I love that. And I, I feel like there are so many things in the in the beauty industry that are really, yeah, as you said, built on uh, racist ideas and ideals and that really need to be picked apart. Um, I suppose it, it's such a massive um it's such a massive issue and it's a big industry and there are so many, I suppose, parts of it. When you're kind of conceiving of some, a project like this, how did you go about um, starting to create it? Where did you begin? How do you plan out your episodes? Can you tell me a little bit about that process? Um, yes. Well, we both have zero experience in doing any of this stuff, like in talking. We don't have training in that. Um, 
So we learned everything as we went. We had a few planning sessions. Talia probably called me in mid-June and we released in mid-August. So during that time, we sat down and spoke about everything that we wanted to talk about, um, looked at what other people were doing, and we asked our friends what they wanted to talk about, like what questions they had, what was important to them, just as like a starting point. Mm. Um, and then we're also very lucky because we have our friend Andrew who uh, records us and edits us and provided equipment and he does that all for free. So everything we learned um, as we went apart from all that editing stuff yeah. that Andrew does. I love it. I feel like I, I just got glimpses of Andrew coming in um, from post-production um, with his little <laughs> golden nuggets. It's amazing. Um, you know, I'd love to, I suppose, chat about some of the episodes. You kind of start out by, yeah, talking about um, fake tan um, and just, you know, I think one of the strong messages that comes through, it's just like be educated about the political context in which you're using beauty products, um, which I really loved. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, I suppose, that conversation around uh, around fake tanning? Max, do you want to do that, Tal? Do you, oh. do you, <laughs> I'll take this one. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, so basically... Um, you know, we, we sort of were both aware. We've had our own experiences with it. Um, I won't speak for Max, but Max speaks on the episode about uh, ha- having experiences with skin lightening growing up as a brown person in Australia. And I think we both sort of just got to a point where we thought, you know, we, we don't want this to be um, – we don't want this to be something that preaches to people and tells them what they should be doing. But hopefully we can provide some social context and – some background and then allow people to make their own decisions. Mm. Um, I guess when we conceived of it, we didn't want it to be something that was just for people of color or just for white people. We want it to feel like a beauty podcast that just happens to be inclusive of everybody. So you can take from it what you will and, and learn and, you know, make your decisions from there. Mm. And that's something that I really like about it. I feel like you are very conscious to um, invite people in and to um, ask people, you know, I think in your second episode you talk about being open for suggestions and critiques and you've got your, um, you know, you've got your Instagram page which you encourage people to kind of get in touch with you so it's um, it's an ongoing conversation. Um, Was that something that you kind of consciously decided about in your planning that you wanted it to be um, a dialogue with your listeners? Yes, because we're also learning at the same time. Like, we know that we're not the authority on everything and we are both non-white and Talia has a disability. So we can cover some things, but we don't know everything. We don't know how it feels like to be um, an older woman in the beauty industry or a man in the beauty industry. So we're very open to people um, either calling us out on the weird things we might say or just <laughs> wanting to include everybody. I'd, I'd love that. And, and I'd love to talk a little bit about um, what you see as as being beauty and and what is included in this. I think when I was listening to the second episode, you kind of started talking about um, how everything from, you know, exercise classes to sleep hygiene to like meditation all feeds into the ideas around beauty and how we feel about ourselves, um, which I suppose I hadn't thought about it in that way. Can you tell me about, yeah, what, what you think in what is beauty and, and, and what does it include? Um, I, you know, I feel like we are, 
tasked with this impossible thing of existing in bodies mm. in a society that judges us always on how we look. Um, so I, I really feel like everything is connected to this idea of beauty because we're constantly being perceived. So for, for me, um, you know, I, I never thought of myself as someone who was into beauty. I've never really worn makeup. I'm not someone who's like, um, I don't know, particularly like I'm not up, I don't, not a VIP at Sephora or anything, but like, (laughs) I, I do think that I'm aware constantly of how I look just as a, as a byproduct of existing in the world that we do. So everything really connects to how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about our bodies, how we feel about, you know, how, how beautiful and confident we feel on a day-to-day basis. I think it's everything. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point about how it's how we are perceived. I think this is something that you, you mentioned, I suppose, in that thinking, does beauty exist in isolation? Like I, I think it's, Sorry, does beauty exist without people perceiving you? Which I think you answered, uh, and it does. But um, can I suppose can you chat to that a little bit? Particularly, obviously, we're in a time of of lockdown, um, where you know we might be uh, not going out and, and doing maybe regular things that we do in terms of our beauty um, routine. Can you talk to that a little bit? Um, I think the isolation one and beauty comes in because beauty is such a self care sort of thing. And it's got to do with our bodies and looking after our bodies and it can be a really soothing activity to do while you're in isolation. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we we also talked about how um, we have an episode coming up about uh, skincare for men, basically, because I think, you know, this idea of beauty is so often feminized because it is connected to, to this idea of how we look and, and how we're perceived. But, you know, at the end of the day, like we all have skin, we all have hair, we all have nails and it, looking after those things is, is classed under the term beauty. But, you know, it's also just taking care of yourself. And like Max said, self-care, grooming, it's all really important stuff mm. as a human. If you have just joined us, we are chatting with the creators um, of a new inclusive beauty podcast called Beauty is Political, uh, Talia and Maxine. I'd love to, I suppose, in that line of thinking, talk a little bit about one of your more recent episodes around anti-aging. And you're just really looking at the language um, of you know, what that means when we talk about anti-aging. And I, I love what you're saying just just now about how it is actually, you know, looking after yourself and being proactive about, um, about your body and caring for it. Um, you know, the the big highlight for me in that episode was um, Talia, your mum coming on as a guest. Um, what was that like having your, you know, having these kind of conversations of, around beauty with your mum? Um, it was really nice because I don't think we've ever specifically spoken about beauty. You know, I, I've watched her as I grow up do beauty rituals, but I've never had an overt conversation about it with her. And it was really nice to sort of get her take on it because I did see, I did see the hesitation when she went from having dark hair to having gray hair and just embracing it. Um, so it's been really special to have that moment where I could sort of like, you know, get her take on it. Um, Mm. And, you know, I think it, it was nice for Max and I to not have to sort of pretend we know what it's like to be an older woman talking about beauty. We could just get it, you know, straight from straight from someone who's experiencing it. It was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. It just made me think of 
I suppose the beauty that we uh, take in from, you know, whether it's our mum or our carer or whoever's around us that might not be made um, visible or, or might not be necessarily spoken about and to actually have conversations around that, about what we've perhaps perceived growing up. Um, I think that's really interesting and really powerful to kind of have conversations around why different people do it and how that changes um, as we get older, um, which, yeah, I just really liked that. Um, you know, you've been making it for the podcast for a little bit now. I'd love to, I'd love to know, you know, you said that it was um, a bit of a new uh, adventure for you to kind of to dive into podcasting what are some of the things that you feel like you've learned along the way talking like literally (laughs) (laughs) you think we'd know how to talk but it's just so hard to like communicate ideas properly to each other but to an audience at the same time Mm. to make them make sense like sure we've learned things about um how to speak into a microphone and how to edit and how to plan and, you know, all those and doing social media stuff as well, which is a huge part of it. But seriously, like trying to just have a conversation that's getting recorded has been the hardest thing for me. I can't do two things at once. So like if we're recording and Talia is talking about something, I'm not actually listening to her. So I'm thinking about what I'm <laughs> saying next. So I usually, Talia could be having this beautiful conversation slash rant about something really important and I won't be listening and I'll just be like yeah okay next and I'll just start talking about something else so that's the biggest thing that I've learned like how to talk to an audience I was gonna say how not to talk over each other but I did it while I was talking (laughs) over you (laughs) so that's a tricky one Particularly when, you know, you're close friends and it's, you know, it's a different type of communicating, as you said, communicating with an audience, communicating um, for a a particular purpose. Um, But yeah, I think you both do it beautifully and it's, um, I'm really glad that you've been doing it. I feel like I've learned a lot already from, um, from listening to you both. Um, I'd love to know, you know, what's, what's in store for the next little bit for Beauty is Political. Do you see it, um, you know, as an ongoing project or or how do you envisage the, the next little while? Yes, it's definitely an ongoing project. Um, We are going to have a whole series of body image episodes coming up soon. So not only to do with weight, but also for people with disabilities and people with, you know, parts of their bodies that may not be represented or may be different to how mainstream bodies are. So that's one thing that's coming up. Um, As for the future, Talia? Well, I don't know. I think we're we're letting it evolve organically I mean I I think for Max and I it's been really nice to find a project that we both genuinely care about um it's been keeping us busy and I I'll tell you our secret wish our secret wish is that one day will our podcast will be so big that number one we can pay Andrew and number two we will be ASOS insiders we want to have our own (laughs) we want them to send us clothes I love that. Send that out into the world and, you know, it's going to come back. It's such a weird request of all the things we could request. (laughs) Um, I I love that. And I do have to say, I feel like the, uh, you know, as a listener, something that I've really enjoyed about the podcast is, 
which I feel like you've spoken about is kind of like finding that balance between um, having conversations that are lighthearted, but then also, um, you know, having conversations around white supremacy and doing those at the, you know, at the same time um, and just being able to, there's just like light and shade and it's really, um, yeah, it's really great to listen to. Um, so that's, yeah, that's just my, my, my personal thing that I'm just really loving about it. Thanks. Thank you so much. Um, that's, yeah, that's what we wanted to do. So I appreciate that. Well, you're nailing it. Um, it's been such a pleasure uh, to chat to you this afternoon. Thank you so much, both of you, for your time. Thank you. Thank you. We were just chatting there with the creators of the new weekly podcast, Beauty is Political. Uh, you can check them out uh, on Instagram or wherever you do get your podcast from. This is Beth AQ. Thanks for listening to the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at BethanyAQ or the Triple R website, 